Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you today. My name's RG. I'm the pastor here in the loft. And just kind of a quick reminder of one of the things that Jonathan named in the announcement that right after worship today, we'll have the learning session over in the sanctuary about the upcoming general conference. If you're able to stay and have some questions or would like to learn more, I invite you to head over to the sanctuary after worship today. Um, I am also always available if you just wanna email me or reach out if you have questions about that, or really if you just wanna talk about First Church or anything related to this community here, please know that Jonathan, me, Katie, Stephanie, any of us are always glad to to do that. That that is one of the best parts of our job is to meet with people one-on-one and kind of help connect and answer questions and that sort of thing. So please know that that's always available should you uh, ever want to do that. I'm going to read this morning from Acts 1, verses 1 through 8. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up into heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by God's own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jonathan mentioned that kind of the theme or the word that we're focusing on today is the word witness. And my senior year of high school, I spent an inordinate amount of time thinking about and worrying about witnessing. In my case, it was because my youth pastor at the time taught us that if we wanted to be a real Christian, then it was essential that we, that we witness, that we share our faith. And what he meant by that was that we were, the goal was to try to have you know, like a five-minute conversation with somebody that we thought wasn't a Christian and try to get them to say this one prayer that's going to help them become a Christian and get saved. Any, anyone familiar with, with that? There are a lot of hands there. Somebody even said, come on, all right. (laughs) And there were always two questions that we were supposed to ask in the conversation, at least the way our youth pastor taught us. The first, I imagine it's all of you who were come on me right then probably know, and that is, if you were to die tonight, do you know beyond a shadow of doubt that you would spend eternity in heaven? Now, the second question was probably a little bit less common, but it was one that we were taught to ask, and it was, if what you currently believe was not true, would you want to know it? Now, the idea is that people who did not believe the right things, they would say, well, yeah, if what I don't believe is not true, then yes, I would want to know it, and then that would open the door for me to tell them the right things for them to believe and to convert the ignorant pagan. So we got these questions from a video that our youth pastor had shown us. I don't remember who the person was on the video. It was some televangelist. And about that question, like, if you, if you don't, if, if what you believe is not right, would you want to know? He said to us, in all my years of witnessing, and y'all, he had spent a lot of years witnessing, in all my years of witnessing, when I've asked that question, do you want to know if what you believe is wrong? 
every single person I've ever asked has always said, yes, I want to know if what I believe is wrong. And he went on to say that when they say yes to that question, then that creates the opportunity for me to share the gospel with them. In other words, he was promising us that it was a foolproof question. Just ask it, people will say yes, and then you can go and get them saved, right? So after we watched this video, our youth pastor encouraged us to start practicing witnessing, but he wasn't ready to just turn us loose out there to all the unsaved folks. He thought we needed to practice first. So he invited us to pick a family member, a friend, another person in the youth group to practice witnessing on, right? And I see some heads nodding. It seems like I may not be the only one who practiced witnessing. So I decided that, well, I'll practice on my dad. Now, I should say all of this made me really, really uncomfortable. Like, I did not want to go around telling people that what they believed was wrong, but I thought this was what I was supposed to do, and so I decided that I would try it. So I sat my dad down one day in the living room. Now, what you need to know about my dad is that my dad uh, considers himself a, a devout Christian. He has always been a person of faith, but dad believes that faith is meant to be lived out, not talked about, right? And the idea that, that well, faith is about believing exactly like I believe, well, that's the antithesis of everything my dad thinks faith is about, that he believes faith must come with humility and kindness and gentleness, and it's never your job to impose what you think on somebody else. So not the best candidate to practice witnessing on, but I started. I said, hey, Dad, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die right now, that you would go to heaven. And my dad responded, of course I don't know that. <laughs> and anybody who tells you they are absolutely certain about what happens when we die is either the most self-deluded person on the planet or they're lying to you. So not a great start to my witnessing career. <laughs> and that probably should have ended the conversation, but y'all, I was an overachieving youth group member. And so I kept on, Dad, if what you've always believed is not right, would you want to know it? To which my dad deadpanned, no, not really. <laughs> now, can we please do something enjoyable like watch the Atlanta Braves together? The TV preacher promised me that if I just asked that question, everybody would say, yes, I want to know if what I believe is wrong. But dad, and, and you should know that my dad has literally supported me in everything I've ever done in life except witnessing. That's the one thing dad wouldn't support me on. And this wasn't even real witnessing, all of this was just practicing. It was simulating witnessing to my dad. But because my dad also did not believe in imposing his beliefs on anyone, including his very kind of devoutedly witnessing 17-year-old son, he wisely didn't try to talk me out of what I was doing. He trusted that I would find my own path. So for a little while longer, I kept trying to work up the courage to witness to my friends who I thought might not be saved. And one person that I decided I should witness to was an exchange student from Germany, because he's from Germany, right? <laughs> and I won't say his real name, but I'll call him Mark. So Mark and I had become good friends, and this was close to the time that he was going back to Germany and we were gonna go bowling one night and I decided I would bring up the conversation of faith. Now, Mark was one of the few people in center Alabama who was open about the fact that he did not believe in God. 
Now, he wasn't broadcasting it sort of as a show of rebellion, but he wasn't trying to hide it either. And so I decided that my way into witnessing to Mark is that I would tell him about a classmate of ours who several years before had been diagnosed with a brain tumor. And shortly before he was supposed to have brain surgery, the doctors did another MRI on him and found out that the tumor had shrunk and no one could explain it. And so then they did another MRI, they postponed the surgery and found out that it was gone. And so we all believed that this was a miraculous healing. This was proof of God intervening in this person's life. And so I told Mark that story to show him that God is in fact real because God had healed our friend. And, our, and Mark said to me, he said, RG, I'm really glad he got better. But do you wanna know why I don't believe in God? You see, I'd never even thought to ask. I just thought I would tell him what he was supposed to think without hearing his story at all. He said, the reason I don't believe in God is, well, my, my little sister, she also had a tumor, cancer. And I prayed for her. And my whole family prayed for her. And her tumor didn't shrink. It got worse and she died. That's why I don't believe in God, because I prayed for her and she didn't get better. I told him I was really sorry and then I didn't know what else to say. Thankfully, Mark was super kind, and he just made the evening fun the rest of the night. You see, with both my dad and with Mark, the way that I had been taught to witness simply did not work. My dad just wasn't interested in that kind of faith. And my logical argument to Mark about why he should believe in God fell apart because of the grief he carried. And looking back, I think the problem in both of those cases is that I have been told that witnessing was this simple, straightforward thing, just like the gospel is this simple, straightforward thing. You know, like you tell people X, Y, and Z and get them to believe A, B, and C, and that's all there is to it. But people aren't a computer program where you can just plug in the right words and then you'll get the response you're hoping for. Life is way more complicated than cliche answers about things as complex as life and death and eternity. And faith is not nearly as neat and simple as just believe this and don't believe this. So what do we do with this word witness that's a part of our Christian faith? Do we simply discard it altogether? Or is there something beautiful about witnessing if we can reimagine what Jesus is asking of us? So the United Methodist Church thinks witnessing is pretty important. As about a decade or so ago, the the denomination added the word witness to our membership vows. So everyone who becomes a member of a United Methodist Church promises to support the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And in the reading that, that that I did from Acts, Jesus' last instructions to the disciples was to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That witnessing is, in fact, pretty important for our faith, but I believe the kind of witnessing that we are called to has nothing to do with the way that I was taught to witness in high school. Now, it's important to remember that Jesus and all of his followers were Jewish people living under the Roman occupation. For them, the word witness would have meant one of two things. It would have meant being a witness in a Roman court of law, or it would have meant being a witness, hello, It would have meant being a witness. I'm just going to hold off for just a second. Keep going. I would have meant being a (laughs) witness. Y'all probably like this better so you don't have to see my face. 
or it would have meant being a witness before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council that determined whether or not somebody had committed some act that would have them removed from the synagogue. Now, to be removed from the synagogue, the thing that you had done wrong, it had to be verified by the account of two eyewitnesses. So these were the two examples that people would have thought of about what it meant to be a witness, that in both cases, whether it's a Roman court of law or before the Sanhedrin, a witness does nothing more than share what they saw or what they heard or what they experienced. And so in Jesus's context, and really in the context of every early follower of Jesus, when they heard the instructions to be a witness, that word would not have meant someone who had this special knowledge of absolute truth about how to be saved. It didn't mean you were an expert in what you were supposed to believe about God. Rather, the call to witness was simply a call to share what you had seen and heard and experienced. Share about how Jesus healed the sick because you had seen it. Share about how Jesus offered good news to the poor because you had seen it. Share about how Jesus would touch the untouchable and welcome those who were unclean and spoke against those who condemned others. Share because you had seen it and you had heard it and you had had experienced it. In other words, being a witness simply meant sharing from your own experience, nothing more. It had nothing to do with being absolutely certain about what you believed or about trying to convince other people to believe the exact right things. In the reading that Catherine shared between the songs earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, when the, when the disciples saw Jesus, it tells us that they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Now, this story takes place after the resurrection for which the women were the first witnesses. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, had, they had seen the resurrected Jesus, and they went and told the male disciples what they had seen. They went and did exactly what a witness is supposed to do. And Jesus had asked the two Marys to tell the disciples to go and meet him on this mountain where he would then appear to them. So this reading in Matthew, this was the first time that the male disciples would see the resurrected Jesus. And I'm so struck by Matthew's account that even after the testimony of the women, and even after they saw Jesus right there in front of them, the gospel writer tells us that some of them still doubt it. Now, the Greek wording in this passage is actually ambiguous, as it could mean that some of them doubted, or it could just as easily be translated that all of the disciples worshipped and all of them doubted, that they were all worshipping and doubting at the same time, that none of them were certain about what all of this meant. And this passage, it's known as the Great Commission, and it's often cited as the reason why we are all supposed to share our faith, because this was sort of the last instructions that Jesus gave to the disciples to go into all the world and make disciples. But what I love about this passage is that nowhere in this instruction are the disciples required to have certainty. They don't have to know exactly what they believe. They can be filled with doubt and still live out Jesus's calling for them. Even when Jesus is standing there right in front of them, they can still be filled with doubt. And Jesus never criticizes them for those doubts. In fact, Jesus trusted them to carry on the work that he started, not because they had all the answers figured out, but because they had journeyed with him. You see, certainty and faith are not the same thing. In fact, I want to suggest to you that the opposite of faith may not be doubt. I think maybe the opposite of faith is, in fact, certainty. Because if I am certain about something, well, I don't really have a need for faith. 
If I'm certain, I don't have to struggle. I don't have to wrestle with where God is in the midst of so much suffering. I don't have to wrestle with the hope of resurrection and new life when there is so much death and pain in our world and in our lives right now. I think being certain or insisting upon certainty can make our faith shallow. It makes faith unable to stand up when the going gets tough. I believe that true faith is not only accompanied by doubt, I believe true faith needs doubt. Because without doubt, faith would not truly be faith. Offering someone a cliche answer about how they can be certain about God and eternity, that's not giving someone faith. That's dumbing down faith to the point where it could not sustain us when life gets complicated and hard. A few years back, Mother Teresa's letters and journals were examined, and many people were surprised to find that in her writings, Mother Teresa expressed that much of her life was spent dealing with periods of doubt, doubt about her faith, doubt about God's love for her, even doubt about the existence of God. And people were so surprised that this This woman who was almost universally revered as a saint had so many doubts about her faith. But what did Mother Teresa do in the midst of her doubt? She took care of orphans and she nursed lepers. She fed hungry people and provided clothing to those who needed it. You see, Mother Teresa did not have to be certain of her faith to live out her faith. Her doubts simply meant that she was human and her faith caused her to live by faith even when she had trouble believing in her faith. And friends, I would argue that's what witnessing really is all about. Witnessing is about living out our faith publicly. And witnessing is often closely associated with the word evangelism, which maybe even gets a worse rap than the word witness, because so often when you hear evangelism, you think of like the evangelical right, sort of this right-wing political religious ideology. But evangelism is actually translated as sharing good news. And I think it's really important, whether we're thinking about evangelism, whether we're thinking about witnessing, to ask ourselves this question, what does it mean to share good news in this moment? You see, telling my friend Mark that, well, because God healed this person, God was real, was not good news because he had had a very different and painful experience. Or telling someone that if they don't believe the right thing, well, they're going to hell, that's not good news either. Instead, I think good news is maybe something like Mother Teresa did. Feeding the poor, caring for orphans, sheltering the homeless, that's good news. And that good news didn't require Mother Teresa to be absolutely certain. It just meant she tried to live out her faith the best she could. And so the question that I want to leave us with is, what does good news look like for us and for this community and for our city? I think maybe good news might look like working to end homelessness in Birmingham, or maybe committing to do our part to see fewer people murdered in 2020 than in 2019, or working to end domestic violence, or working to make sure that every child has an opportunity for a good education. To me, that's good news. I think good news might look like going to the Pride Parade with God is Love t-shirts and sharing with people who have been told over and over again that something is wrong with you, that something is sinful about you, that No, God, in fact, loves you for who you are, that God accepts you for who you are. And I would say the church could do well to learn from the LGBTQ community who offered hospitality to us, a church, a community that represented people who had greatly harmed them but made us feel like we belonged at the Pride Parade. I think that may be what good news looks like.
I think good news is telling people that God is big enough for us to be honest about our fears and our doubts and our uncertainties, that God is bigger than any box we might try to put God into. And therefore, anyone who tries to say that you have to think like me, believe like me, act like me for God to love you, to know that that message is a lie. I think that is good news. I think good news is to always walk in the way of love and justice and peace. And finally, I think good news is the last line in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus says, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of time. Friends, that's good news, that in times of certainty and in times of doubt, Jesus is with us. That in times of joy and in times of pain, Jesus is with us. And that no matter what any of us may be going through, no matter how good or how bad things may be, Jesus is always with us. Jesus always loves us. Jesus always accepts us. That's true for us, and that's true for every person on this planet. And I think that may be good news that is worth being a witness to.